I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, the Roundtable Tuesday edition. If you're new here, welcome. This show will plug you into grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. On tonight's show, we have Winner the Poet and J-Rod P. Garrett, the co-founders of Utah Black Artists Collective, affectionately known as U-Black, an organization committed to uplifting and connecting Black creatives throughout the state of Utah. And it just so happens that they will be participating in a panel discussion next Tuesday, February 15th, which is a collaboration with the Utah Film Center's program, Black, Bold, and Brilliant, the Hearts and Minds edition, which is going to be focused on a conversation between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin and the People's Business with the Utah League of Women Voters and the Salt Lake County District Attorney. It is Black History Month, and we heard from our next guest about a cool Kickstarter we wanted to shine a light on. Raising Me, formerly known as Project Black Girls with us. Welcome Stephanie Lake Draper and Brie Ray. What up, ladies? How y'all doing? What's up? Hi. How are you? Oh, doing well, doing well. How y'all doing? What's going on? How's, okay, 2022, how's it been? Man, we made it through. We all made it to 22. Yes, we did. Yes, it's been actually amazing just with all the things that we have been working on and just with us partnering and just it's just been a good year for us for sure it's been a, a year of opportunity definitely all right so we got what new year new you new brand name what's going on we decided to like open up but like let's talk about it yeah so we just rebranded from project black girl to raising me um we're really excited about it it comes from a, a, a lot of months of brainstorming and planning, as you know. So we're happy with where we've landed. Um, and that's what we're moving forward with, Raising Me. I like it. I like it. All right. So we brought you on because we have a special guest in us in a Kickstarter that dropped today. So please introduce us to the man behind Kindred. Yeah. So Tyrus is a, an amazing illustrator. He first started out doing a lot of <laughs> he first started doing out um doing a lot of um game work and um um movies i think is that correct and then he decided to yeah and then he decided to branch off and start his own business um where he illustrates his own books and on top of that um creates representation for kids in his communities um in chicago all right so welcome to the show tars it's nice to have you yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. And to my friends, Bree and Stephanie, these girls are amazing. When I say girls, I mean women, but I say it affectionately. Right? Like, um, I appreciate all that you guys are doing. And I, I love the branding, the change. That is awesome. So this is a great day. I'm excited. I'm, I'm connecting with wonderful people all the way across in Utah and, and Jersey and every place else. So what a, what a day. What a day. This is amazing. I love it. All right. So so first and foremost, congratulations on the launch of your Kickstarter. So if our listeners don't know, Ty has uh, jumped in to the Kickstarter game. I haven't ventured into those uncharted waters, but I have heard it is. It could be stressful. Oh, my gosh. Listen, I think I almost had a heart attack this morning just trying to get the launch going and to go live at the same time and to bring in the new people that just joined the team at four o'clock this morning who will be partnering with us and just like pulling everything together it is super stressful. It is, uh, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. It's day one and I'm still going to say it's worth it. 
and we've been prepping with Bree, Stephanie. We've been behind the scenes like the whole team, Ian, um, Liz, Jazz, my whole squad. Everybody's been grinding. We've been. This has been two years in the making, so this didn't just show up. We've been working, changing the formula, bringing in new paper, uh, testing paper in China, testing paper in the U.S., figuring out the best way to do it. It's been a lot of work, um, but, you know, it is worth it. This is my first, first Kickstarter. I, I've been like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going and saying, hey, you like, it, it just seems like a nightmare. But I think for what I'm doing, um, in order for people to know what I'm doing, to get outside of my studio, to get outside of my city, to get across the country, I had to do a Kickstarter. And even in preparing, I met some really amazing people. And again, I'm going to big up Bree and Stephanie, um, just being able to connect with them and what they're doing and hear the future. I'm definitely on that team. I'm definitely supporting them. These are definitely two young ladies that you want to follow and get to know. Um, and so that came all out of this Kickstarter, you know, so I'm with them and I'm 100% into this now. I love it. All right. So I read, I read your bio. I did, I did some homework like it, like everybody should. And so I know you've been in the game for a minute. So what, yeah, what was the yeah. transition? Like why, why Kindred? Why now? Like what, what, what was it? So this has been birth man for over 10 years in a different form. So when I was in the industry and I was working and designing toys and working on video games, worked for Disney for a while, did some projects with Marvel. Um, primarily when I would work on kids stuff, I would always say, hey, can this character be black or can we add black characters into the program? And the answer was almost no. It wasn't almost. It was always no. It was always no. So I can come up with great ideas. I can support launches of new toys. Um, I worked for McDonald's. I worked for the McDonald's Happy Meal program. So every month we had a new program to launch in. And me and my team, we were working on it or a team next to me was working on it or the direct competitors were working on it. So I was almost always involved. So even the secondary characters couldn't be black. And I'm like, come on, man, this is crazy. Like we're in the 2000s, nobody can be black. And, you know, they kind of got tired of button heads with me, which I get it. And then the next job I went to, um, same thing. Can the characters be black? <laughs> like this has just been my thing because I remember, I'll take you back a little bit and I hope I'm not long winded, but I really want to share the spirit and what I was doing. That's I remember good. being a kid you would watch cartoons and you're always looking for a character that you could connect with. So I love the Thundercats. I know black Thundercats. I love G.I. Joe. We had two black G.I. Joes, Roblox, and I don't remember the, uh, the other one right now. But it's like, you know, it's 3,700 G.I. Joes and only two were black. So you're always looking for this character that relates to you. And oftentimes it's the Wookiee. It's uh, Thunder the Barbarian, the guy that goes, Mur. like, it's like you, you have these big hairy characters that you have to pick and say, Chewbacca is the brother, right? And so it was a brother in Star Wars, but I mean, it's like, come on, we need more than one, right? Lando right. was so cool. Lando was so cool. I'm on a rugged side. So I'm like, I guess I gotta roll with Chewbacca, you know? So you're always looking for these characters that you can relate to and say, this is me like that. Yeah, I can see myself in that. And, I, and that mattered to me. Like I watched He-Man, man, it was one black He-Man and he came in like the third season. <laughs> and then it's like Voltron. No black characters no black in Voltron, right? Yeah. But they got a black lion. Okay, cool. Then you got, then you got a, what's that? Power Rangers, right? So you got a black dude, but he was mad corny. And shouts out to him, but it's like he not, you know, I, I, I gave it. I'm just telling the truth. You asked me how I got it. So I'm I, I know. I'm, I'm with you. I grew up, we, I, I would have to argue we were around the same age, and I know exactly Yeah, yeah. I heard, what you know what I'm about. talking about, man. And you're just looking for something that you could say, 
I could be like that. Yeah, that's my guy. That's so for the Thundercats, it was Panthero. Man, he's a honorary brother. I don't know about we I, I was gonna, I was gonna check you and say, I think I'm pretty hey, sure Panthero was, was a brother. brother, you know what I'm saying? So and then I grew up and I oh a brother did do his voice. We were right, it was real, right? Okay, cool. But he wasn't black, he was purple or blue or something like that. Yeah, he was like right? a, a shade of blue. Yeah, man. So it's this deep-seated desire to go, man. You know what? I want to see me a me that looks like me in the books, not not someone else's version of me, but a real, real me. You know. And I grew up in Chicago, and everybody around me were a version of me, and they were all complex. They all had personalities and their own issues. And then I went to college in Iowa, and there were different types of me's, but they still existed. They still had value outside of what society was saying we were. So. And I get these jobs and I get these jobs and the pay is great. And I got the titles. And I was always butting heads just because I wanted my version told. I wanted to see my version of me. So <clears throat> I left, uh, man, I got, I got tired of fighting. I got fired at the last job. I was still teaching. I was still a college professor, still running the game design department, but I lost the job. And I'm like, that's it. I will never go to another studio where I'm going to argue with people all day about painting black kids. And now all day long, I paint little black kids every day all day over and over and over again and i love it so i've done over 90 books um independent authors come to me my team we set them up we get them on the shelves we get them out there and our authors are making money but the most important thing is i know that when my kids pick up a book when other people's kids pick when breeds kids one day pick up a book and that they're going to be characters in the in the books that look like them that they can relate to and say that looks a little bit like me and you know what we saw that in, in contos Oh my gosh, the kids yeah. are going crazy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're going crazy. They're like, this is our movie. I was like, I, I don't think so, but okay. They're like, he looks like me, you know, and and I'm a part of that in a different way. You know, like I'm gonna be a part of the next wave. I'm gonna be a part of artists who grow up and create the next encantos and all of these stories. So man, I'm passionate. And when I talk, I'm full-throated about this. I want to share my passion with the world. Like we have a right to have voices as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so for people who aren't familiar, what, what is Kindred? So Kindred is the retelling and the continuing telling of history. So what we want to do is we don't want to, every time we tell our kids about heroes traumatizing by saying, and oh yeah, they got shot in the head. We don't want to do that. We want to actually tell healthy stories and say, this is what they believe and this is what they did. And maybe stop there. Then talk about modern day heroes like Simone Biles, Colin Kaepernick. Listen, and, and, I'm, and, and the most important part is I'm not going to rely on someone I don't know to tell the story of Colin Kaepernick. I'm going to give my kids the version that I understand. And oh, by the way, I get to update it. So as time passes by, if we say, hey, I think he went astray or I disagree with him, I get to give my reasons and we can sit down and do research. But the, the thing is, is I wanted it to be a hands-on approach where we get to get on the ground and start coloring and we get to talk and spend hours uh, just talking about the character, doing a little research, watching documentaries. One of the things we did was we included a QC code where you can scan it with your phone, boom, and our videos will pop up on YouTube on your screen. And so we bought in people, we call them ambassadors, who can start the story, start talking, start the conversations, ask the tough questions to create dialogue between dad and daughter, dad and son, mom and daughter. We want to create those conversations. It's like the old, uh, you know how the, the people from the South used to stitch quilts and they would tell you their histories and your history will be in a quilt and that quilt will matter to you. Well, we wanted to do a short firm form version of that. Um, and so that's what Kindred is. It's us retelling history and telling history 
um, modern day history. So we're talking about Stacey Abrams, Simone Biles. We're talking about Barack Obama, but we're also talking about uh, Dr. King. You know, we're also going to be talking about other people from the past, but in a different light. And the most important thing, we want to snatch our narrative away from teachers who may not have our best interest in heart and get on the floor and teach our kids. And we're not all teachers. I, I'm a professor. I teach in college, but I, I'm not very good with little kids. Like, I don't necessarily have the right questions. I don't have the patience. You hear my voice. I sound like a monster. You know, <laughs> so, so this tool helps me out. You know, it's like, man, OK, I can follow a couple steps, get some conversation started. And most of us, once the conversation gets started, you know, y'all know we opinionated people. So, you know, absolutely. absolutely. Our listeners know they listen. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I just want to create an environment where we can get the conversation started and we can share our opinions. And it doesn't mean that our opinions are right, but we know that our, we're giving opinions that are good hearted. We're not trying to retell slavery and say it's not slavery. It's indentured servants. We know we're not going to do that. We're going to say, no, it's slavery. And here's what it looked like. And then we'll say, but here's where we are, as opposed to someone who's trying to erase the history and tell it in a different form. Um, we want to take control back and start teaching our kids like we always have. So that's what Kindred really is. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So when this gets fully funded, what's next? We talking about school tours? I know you said you're a monster, but brother, you got the energy collaboration with title one schools like what are we looking at yeah so the first thing we want to do is get this round out man we have seven banner posters that we want to get out so we have simone biles we have colin kaepernick we have barack obama we have harriet tubman we have who am i forgetting i'm forgetting a billion people i know i am already um so we have the first seven the first seven are ready to go what we want to do afterwards we're going to do our next seven and i can tell you the people who join the kickstarter you're going to help us choose the next seven and we're going to keep going so that parents can go, hey, let's pick this subject to talk about next week. And the thing about it is, let me throw this little caveat in because I really want to explain what we're doing. The thing about it is these are big. These are 35 by 35. You're going to get on the floor and you're not doing it in the day unless you start at nine o'clock in the morning and stop at nine o'clock at night. It's a thing where you're going to come back to it. You're going to play a little bit. You're going to come back to it next week. And when you're done, you can hang it on a wall and say, we did this. We told this story. Mm -hmm. We participated. So Amen. we want to keep creating. We want to have catalogs that parents can just choose from and catalogs that teachers can choose from. So uh, we're, we're, we're trying to talk to Crayola and say, hey, are you interested in joining in with us? Because they have these beautiful crayons that call, they call them. I was going there. I was going there. Tell us about the crayons, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. They have, they're called the crayons of the world. And the crayons are about skin color and being able to color everybody, everything. Um, we've been talking with them. Listen, nothing has happened yet. I'm not, I'm not handcuffing anybody, but um, I think we're a match made in heaven for Crayola. I, like, this is the dream, Crayola. We got the team, Crayola. Trying to make the cream, Crayola. <laughs> oh, I, well, I mean, it's the, it's the truth, though. Like, you know, every, everybody who's tuning in has heard me say and heard other people on the radio here say, representation matters 100%. absolutely and now 100%. you have you have signed sealed and all they have to do is deliver the package like crayola has the goods i mean they have every color imaginable and all they have to do is co-sign that with you oh my gosh so and we're not waiting on them by the way we include the crayola crayons in one package the crayola markers in another package and for the teachers man we got we got a whole package that come with colored pencils pencil sharpeners we got the works for the teachers who want to do an entire class. Uh, so on the Kickstarter, they have the different tiers, but we give 
the crayons with the packages because we know they're needed and we want kids to be like, oh, I got brown crayons. I got tan crayons. So we're not waiting on them, man. We don't listen. I ain't asking nobody for permission to do this the right way. We're funding it, you know, as far as going and paying for it. And we're asking our backers, hey, support us. We've already, I got a, I got a whole storage room full of Crayola, Crayola crayons and markers and everything because we want to deliver. And we're not waiting on anybody to say, okay, if they say no, that's okay. We say yes. I'm trusting my backers to say, we say yes, we'll get the money back. We believe in our people. We believe in our cause. We believe in our purpose and nothing stops that. Oh, God. Oh, all right. So how did, how did this powerhouse collaboration with you three come together? I'm going to let the ladies talk. I've been... <laughs> I'll let Brie talk about it more and then I'll intervene. Sure. Yeah. So we actually got connected through a mutual contact that I had been working with on some marketing projects. Um, and he introduced us to Tyrus and it was an easy, an easy yes. It was a, a mindless collaboration. It fit perfectly from the beginning. So um, we're excited to be a part of this project and help him get the word out and then look forward to future collaborations as well. Yes. Yes, for sure. And like it was, it was, I think, it's to say our first meeting with with Tyrus was so fun because just as he is passionate now talking about kindred, he is as passionate about just anything to do with representation and being a stance to create next generation and, and build a next generation. And so it's just so awesome. Just the, the, the first meeting that we had with Tyrus was as empowering, as beautiful. And you, anyone who interacts with Tyrus leaves feeling more empowered, more bold, and more capable of doing anything. And so, like Brie Ray said, it was an easy yes for us to collaborate with one another. And it was an easy yes to continue this friendship and this bonding that we know that will shape and change the world that we work really hard to do so. I, I mean, I, I, I cannot help but just think about our little kids. And, you know, I have an eight and 11 year old and I'm just thinking, and I have nieces. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm about to jump on a Kickstarter with the, with the bank card right now. That's, that's just going to happen. But if I, I look forward to our, our, our youngins having an opportunity to see shades of themselves when they're coloring, that is, that is something that hasn't always been around. And, and, you know, here, I don't want to call, you know, all of them heroes, but this is huge. This is, this is, and I, I look forward to seeing everything you three continue to do in the future. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Go ahead, Tyrus. Well, I, I can tell you, I, I can tell you for me, when floor tree calls, I'm getting to work. When they say I get to work, I'm getting to work. So this is easy for me. Great team, uh, great spirit. Uh, we got some things planned in the future, so we might be back. I'm gonna let you know, Rashawn, we might show back up, knock on your door and say, round two, we got more stuff to do. So um, oh, we are in the comments, like, how do we get this as a regular? Yeah, that's that's going to happen. Absolutely. So, I mean, how do how do everybody, our listeners, how do we find how do we find the Kickstarter? Sure, OK, so you can go to Kickstarter and just put in Kindred, K-I-N-D-R-E-D. All right. K-I-N-D-R-E-D. I don't want to give the full link. It's forever if I give you the full link. But if you go to Kickstarter, if you really struggle, just put in Tyrus Gaucher. And Kickstarter, it should bring you to it, but Kindred should get you to the project. If you have any problems, I think you can IM any of us and we'll get you the link. Uh, I can get you the link, Rashawn, so you can post it if you want. And we're going to put it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to put all, all the links in the show notes. 
And and ladies, what I mean, what's the new social handle? The new social handle is when raising me. All right. And we're going to have that in the show notes as well. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, are we all on the on the big three? Yeah, Instagram mostly. And then our website is raising-me.com. And I am on Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok, Tgo Sketch, T-G-O-S-K-E-T-C-H. You can find my website at tgosketch.com. Just Google me. Your boy's everywhere. All right. I mean, he's in the building, y'all. Y'all paying attention. All facts. All facts. I, I just want to say, one, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us. I'm excited about this project. I'm excited about seeing the shine that's on these little brown faces when they see these pictures. And and y'all, if just so you know, when you get to the Kickstarter, I mean, we're talking about big coloring pages. We're not talking about the dollar store joints. We're talking about big old family activities. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tyrus. Thank you, Brie Ray. And thank you, Stephanie. It, it has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It's always such an honor to be on the show and to talk with you. And you guys are awesome. Yes. Rashawn, yeah, thank you so much. Listen, it's my first time, not my last time. I cannot wait to come back. So Rashawn, listen, first of all, I might take over your show. I like it here. I feel comfortable. I feel like I'm at home. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, real recognize real, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you, bro. I love it. Wow, y'all. I'm, I'm feeling it. Like, And if y'all feeling it too, check tonight's show notes for a link to the Kendra Kickstarter and Raising Me. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, the Roundtable Tuesday edition. On tonight's show, we have Winner the Poet and J-Rod P. Garrett, the co-founders of Utah Black Artists Collective affectionately known as Black, an organization committed to uplifting and connecting Black creatives throughout the state of Utah. And it just so happens that they will be participating in a panel discussion next Tuesday, February 15th, which is a collaboration with the Utah Film Center's program, Black, Bold, and Brilliant, the Hearts and Minds Edition, which is going to be focused on a conversation between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin and... I just might happen to be on there with them. So what's going on, J-Rod? What's going on, Winter? How you two doing? Not too bad. Hey, how you doing? Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. I'm glad. You know, I'm I'm going to first start and say, you know, I've been I've been trying to do this new thing and, and giving giving my people's flowers while they're still alive, while they still appreciate them, while they can still smell them. So one, thank you. Thank you for all the hard labor, hard lifting you've done to really get and make you black a thing, a, a thing for, you know, not just the BIPOC, BIPOC community, but everybody in Utah could really, really benefit from an organization like that. So thank you, you two. Yes, not a problem. Happy to be of service there. How did it kick off? What does that conversation look like, especially in this state? Okay. Whew. All right. I think it's my turn to tell a story. So I'm just going <laughs> to jump into it. So I was working with an organization called Next Ensemble. Back in the year of our pandemic, 2020, (laughs) you know, and they were like, hey, J-Rod, I'd worked with them a few times before. They're a classical music um, um, nonprofit to try and help people know more about classical music. It's a beautiful thing. And I'd worked with them a few times sharing some of my poetry. And they just reached out to me. It's like, we don't know a lot of Black artists. So, like, we're trying to find some more Black artists. We have this project we want to do. And 
I was like, okay, cool. Well, I can share it. I can do this thing. Well, then we turned into like three black artists. There's Shakira, I mentioned, um, or Winter, as the case may be. Oh, there was also another young lady by the name of Ash- Ashley Finley. She's a doula here who works in Salt Lake City. And then they're like, well, what about if we go more than just poets? And then we the, the floodgates open and almost all these people that started getting named by all sorts of different folks. And we're like, well, and the idea was well, to put this program together called Being Black and White Space. And like this thing that was going to help people understand what it meant to be black in a space like Utah, where like I'm surrounded by white folks all every day. Like I go one room over and I like, it's all, all my students are white now, like right now. Like I have one black student, like, yay. So that's, that's the struggle we, we live in here being black in Utah. And as we talked about that, we were just kind of like, well, Winter is actually one who said this was specifically like, well, it sounds like this is a great thing, this show we want to put on and everything, which we still haven't put on because COVID has been awful. But ultimately, it came down to we should put together a Black artist collective. And every single person in the room went silent. And, we're, and, the, and just like this unity of purpose is like, that is exactly what we should do. We should put together a Black artist collective. And we have moved on since that point doing our best to build a black artist collective, which has been like crazy hard. <laughs> I, so I, I like that. I like that. So winner, I'm gonna come over to you. Cause he says something I want, I want you to riff off of. So uh, a unity of collective, a collective group. So how, how do you fit in this puzzle? How do you expand on it? Uh, it was like J rod said, um, it was really important to me. I saw that this was not only missing um, in the community, but I saw that this this was missing in my own life as well. Um, to have a community of Black artists that really support one another, um, that really uplift one another, um, that really come together and say, um, yes, you can keep going. Um, someone's behind you. Um, that was extremely important to me. Coming up as a young artist, um, I've, I've been a poet. Oh, goodness. I first got published at eight years old. And coming up as a young artist, I didn't have any other artists around me that looked like me. Um, I didn't really know of any Black artists who um, were doing the things that, that I wanted to do until I started doing research. But there was no one in my community. Um, there was no one at my school. I took creative writing courses. Uh, with Weber State, uh, as well as at my high school. And there was no one at my school that looked like me that um, that was doing any of the things that I was doing. Um, I'm a drummer as well, a female drummer. I've been playing the drums since 10 years old. Okay. There was no one who looked like me. Um, I had to go to church, which I was grateful for. Um, that's why I found my mentor in the drums. Um, there was another female drummer who was just a couple years older than me. Um, that I had to look up to. But otherwise, again, there was no one um, to really look up to. And and when me and J-Rob talked about this, it was really important that we had a mentorship program um, so that we can give those young ones who feel like there's no one out here for them to look up to, we can show them that we have a whole collective 
of different artists that are doing this as their everyday life um, to help uplift the name of art and the community um, for the love of art. Uh, we we actually get paid to to live our dream, and that's uh, that's still, mm. that's a big gotta gotta get snaps to that because that is that that right there is the American yeah. dream. Getting paid to do what you love. That so I'm on the website right now, and there is a plethora of beautiful brown faces. Yeah. So if if I am an artist or if I'm a youngin in Utah, how do I get involved? You can email us, reach out to us. Um, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. I know everyone is like crazy with social media. Um, there's so many ways to contact us. I'll let J-Rod. Um, <laughs> did I miss any of them? There's, there's so no, no, she had all of them. See, here's the thing we're looking for for artists, okay? Because we don't care whether you are an emerging artist, which means you're beginning in all this or you're mid-career, or you are a grandmaster of your craft and you know everything and you just want to like help help young folks figure out how to do all this because it's scary. What we want from you is we want you to send us an email. Send us an email, have it in your bio, which we're getting ready to do some things where we're going to like revamp all the bios in a very specific way because we're going to try and help every single person with our organization look for grants and all that kind of stuff. But send us your bio, send us some some of your work like what have you done give us like um like if you can't directly send us work some of the one one of the things that was really great i had a comedian who um wanted to work with us by the name of torin and he sent us the venues that he performs in i was like okay well and like he's been doing this for years he's running the venues so i'm like okay i'm good enough with that so we know what types of work people are doing we just want to be able to connect with you, see your work, be able to go find out where we can see you and everything. And then essentially you're going to be in a collective. Right now, one of the things we're talking about is um, because we need to make the full jump into being a 501c3, we're working with another organization that gives us the ability to take donations right now, but we want to be our own individual organization, not have to rely on anyone. So part of that is we're trying to find the funds that for that, whether that looks like we have to have member dues, which honestly would not be very much like at most $20 a year for, oh, wait, we're going to try and help you find money. We're going to try and help you live your dream. The whole entire point of this is not just we want you to be able to be seen by the Utah community as like, well, I know growing up, I'll speak for myself. Growing up, people always ask me, are you going to be a basketball player? I'm like, no, I hate basketball. Or, or they would ask me something like, oh, do you play football? And I'm sitting here in my head thinking, if you knew how insulting that was, because you know, I am the last person picked for any sport at my school ever. So no, I'm not going to play football, but I am going to write because I love writing. I love telling stories. I love being able to like be able to get into the psychology of people and help expose who they are, which is what, what you black is about is about being able to see this is the black experience. It is far more vibrant, far more beautiful, far more bold than what we expect it to be. Don't, don't throw me in a, a box where I have to either be a basketball player, a thug, 
or some sort of drug because those aren't that's not the whole black experience the black experience is we have a black ballerina we have black comedians we have black thespians uh, black poets black novelists like it's far bigger than just the pigeonholes that people selected for us because the media that we we ingest every day says that's all there is Right, right. And I want to tell you that as well, J-Rod. Um, not only are we are we looking to make a change, we already have, um, and I'm uh, going to be honest about it, we have been able to make a change in the short amount of time that we have had UBRAC. We've been able to um, partner with the Utah um, Arts Festival to completely um, help them to, to resh- reshape and revamp some things. Um, to have more, uh, more of the community and inclusion. In fact, they have they have now a community and inclusion program, um, which I'm grateful. I'm the community and inclusion coordinator, so my, I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful to be able to to work with them. So we're double partnered with. Uh, I love it. Arts festival. We've been able to partner uh, with Clever Octopus so that we can help to bring workshops and help to continue to empower our artists. So um, not, uh, not only are we looking to make a change, but we already have, and, I, and I'll be honest, we already have um, started to make headway uh, with making that change, with bridging the gap and bringing our community together as one. I know you talked about mentorship. If I'm a parent listening, one, how do I find out about what's, the, what's your social handles if we're looking and how do I get my child involved in something like that with a mentor program of people who who look like them so ublack.org ublac.org that is our website um, that has all of our should have all of our social media handles um, on instagram you can find us at underscore ublack ublac underscore what's our facebook j-rod it's, it's still ublack you, you actually on facebook you would actually look for Utah Black Artist Collective. Oh, there it is. Thank you. And and to hear more, y'all, hear more from these two, these two local creatives. Tune in February 15th to Black Bold and Brilliant Hearts and Minds Edition, 7 o'clock p.m. online. Thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us, you two. Thank you so much. It's been beautiful. Thank you. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, the Roundtable Tuesday edition. Next up, the People's Business with the Utah League of Women Voters and the Salt Lake County District Attorney. And because today is International Clash Day, how about a little bit of, you know, know your rights on KRCL? This is a public service announcement with guitar. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Radioactive and Roundtable Tuesdays. I'm Rashawn Leak. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now!, Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 10.30, Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 o'clock. All of our programming in the Radioactive Archives may be found online at krcl.org. For the rest of the hour, we're digging into the people's business with Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill and Deborah Case from the League of Women Voters of Utah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's people's business time. Hey, Sim, welcome. But 
But we got to start with Deborah because there's some bills that are heating up up there. Yes, there are. So hello, hello. So we are in the fourth week and yes, the 22nd day of general session and we are starting to move. So we've already passed about 61 bills so far and counting. So let's see a few bills that are moving along through the legislature. First, we have two bills that have passed with favorable recommendations and are moving on to the floor. So these bills are on their way, but not over the hump just yet. So if you feel either positively or negatively about either one of these, it may be time to reach out to your legislators. First off, we have SB 53, the speeding amendment bill sponsored by Rep. Jenny Iwanamoto. This addresses speeding and more pointedly racing. It prohibits speed spectators, speed event planning and such, but more importantly, it is increasing, it is increasing speed racing or exhibition penalties for on-highway incidents including seizure of non-compliant vehicles, Ooh. imposing penalties for reckless driving of speeds of 105 miles per hour or more, which was actually debated because they had it at 100. Wow. And so it's gone back and forth. I think we're in our third rendition of this. They've moved it up to 105. And I think as we all know, driving on those 80 mile an hour roads is pretty easy to go over 100 pretty quickly. Uh, not in a battle wagon, but uh, that's for another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to fight it or support it, reach out to your senator before it hits the floor. So next up, we've got HB 124, Forcible Entry Warrant Modifications, sponsored by Representative Matthew Gwynn. Mm. This focuses on tightening up the parameters regarding knock and announce and no-knock warrants. Officers must wear easily visible ID, knock and announce more than once before forcing entry, and they want to try to focus on doing this during daylight hours. That, I, <laughs> that's right there, Deborah. Like, I, so, you know, I mean, I, I've talked to Sim about it. I come from a, a family of law enforcement officers, and they, I think daylight hours are really important. You know, if, if you're catching people at a weird time when they're sleeping in the early mornings, I mean, I can just say as a parent, I know when I wake my kid up at 6.30, 6.45 for school, I, I usually hear some choice words and he's only 11. <laughs> so I can't imagine, you know, and he's expecting me to wake him up. So I can't imagine somebody coming in and knocking, you know, a no-knock warrant. There's, there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of attention on that across the country as well. Definitely. And it's, like you said, if you have children, that can be extremely traumatic. It's very frightening. They don't understand what's going on. So also proposing that there is a no no knock warrants try and say that again a no no knock warrant for simple misdemeanors so that you're not doing that and not putting people into that traumatic situation so once again contact your representative and tell them if you support or you're against this bill before it goes to the house floor what's up sam gill sl county da get in on this I was going to just say, just to make a quick comment, I think it's really important to recognize while it's a tool, it's a tool that can't be used for everything that you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's it's about really using a tool in an effective way and not creating a, a, a tool, which then we reach out of just sort of either laziness or whatever to, to just to, to use for every circumstance. So misdemeanor qualification is a really important part of it because low level offenses should not bring that kind of power of the state unless you're a really genuine risk to the community. Yeah. There's some sort of an exigency that's really driving it. Mm -hmm. And even then we can control the conditions under which we can uh, keep it from becoming something else, right? You, you think about the Breonna Taylor issue that happened. 
right at the at the wrong place at the wrong time at the wrong hour and so what is it within our control so we don't contribute to those collateral consequences which result in injury or harm so in that sense this is a really critical and important step in the right direction i i agree 100 percent sam the th two things i think of brianna taylor and the recent one amir Locke. those are you know it's it's terrible and i and i feel for officers because you know they they have a they have a rough job where you don't you don't know who's on the other side of that door. Absolutely. And I think to your point, misdemeanors, if if it's a traffic violation, I mean, is that, I, you know, and I don't know, I'm you know, so I'll I'll plead ignorance. I don't know, you know, the the thought process behind a no knock warrant for certain offenses. But if it's if your life is in danger, I don't know if it's necessary. It feels like it's a lot. All right. What, what else you got for us, Deb? All right. Lastly, we have Rep Representative Galen Benyon's driver license amendments. Now this one isn't designed to take anything away from you. This is designed to make it more equitable and more uniform for all people of Utah to get a driver's license. Currently, the Utah driver's license tests are only available in English. So this makes it very difficult for non-English speaking residents or even people with English as a second language um, to pass that test. So this bill would provide for the translation of the driver's test. Now, I think we can all agree that we want everyone behind the wheel to read and understand the rules, regardless of language. Absolutely. And that seems like a, a pointless reason to, to deny people the basic privilege of driving. Yeah. So it did pass unanimously in the House, and it's now moving on to the Senate. I love it. I love it. And I'll, and I'll say, as a transplant, I, I studied all night for my test when I first moved here, <laughs> only to go in a DMV, be handed a book and told it's open book. So clearly, <laughs> if it's an open book test for English speakers, we can definitely make it make it more affordable to everybody and just put it in a different language. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, and I, you know, when you go in there, you're going through the test and you've got the book and you're going through really quickly. Mm -hmm. You see other people next to you and they're they're taking uh, their time. They're going through every single word because they want to get it right. Absolutely. I think I think we just hit on a cliff note version of the DMV test and we struck gold, you two. <laughs> All right. So we've got a tip here for navigating the Utah legislative website because we've got to have that. So for day, today, we're going to go over how to look up a bill status. So you're going to start off at the le.utah.gov website and go to bills. Or if you're already on there and you're a little bit more advanced, simply select a bill from wherever you are on the site. When you have that bill up and you're looking right at it, let your eyes go underneath the bill title and you're going to see a little bar there. So right now you're looking at bill text, but if you move over to the center, you're going to see a tab that says status. Click on that. And you're going to see a whole list of everywhere that that bill has gone and what has occurred. Now, this is extremely helpful when following bills so you can see its history. But unlike a crystal ball, it will not tell you much about its future or where it's going to pop up again. So... It's telling you your history. You can follow it, but you don't know where it's going to pop up next. And I hear we have a special uh, visitor on the Hill on February 15th, next Tuesday. Yes, we do. Right now, the, the League of Women's Voters wants to remind you that Women's Day on the Hill is next week on Tuesday the 15th. And they are having two different sessions and different speakers, but they're both going to share ways to effectively citizen lobby and communicate with your legislators. So the morning session is going to start at 10, and then the afternoon session is designed to accommodate more working individuals and students. So that starts more around 3.30, all right? And it is also available in person and on Zoom. And you can go to the HEAL website to get involved and events to get more information on that as well. 
And of course, you can come visit us on next Thursday because we do in-person and Zoom just like that <laughs> in uh, Capitol Room 105 and on Zoom. And you can go find that at the League of Women's Voters Utah. Go to the calendar and scroll down to, to Thursday and you'll find a link to our Zoom right then and there. And we will be meeting at 1230. We're going to have Representative Ballard is going to be there with us. And I am really hoping she's got... Um, her Department of Corrections Education Services that she's going to be discussing that requires equal education opportunities for incarcerated women. Well, thanks so much, Deb. I appreciate you every time you come on to the show. Thank you so much. I love being here. Absolutely. All right now, Sam, let's get to the law enforcement and criminal justice reform at the People's House. What's going on? Well, a lot of uh, great things are happening. Uh, some people may have uh, missed this, but there was a really important bill that passed through uh, in, through the committees. That is the duty to intervene bill. That's something that our office has worked on. It was a collaboration with law enforcement, prosecution, NAACP, Utah, uh, Black Lives Matter, Utah chapter, everybody coming together. And what this bill really does is it says, that if you're a law enforcement officer and you are engaged in a situation and you see a, a fellow officer engaging in something illegal, that you have a duty to intervene if you can mm. do so safely and to stop that. So think about George Floyd and those officers who were sitting there just standing and uh, they would be compelled now under this law to intervene. But more importantly, there's also a duty to report when you witness that as well with safeguards that says that to, to break against the stigma of silence and retaliation, that an officer, a good officer who does report, who does intervene, that they cannot be retaliated against for doing that. So this bill is really important because for the first time, for those officers who want to uh, do the right thing, they are protected and it is the foundational stone for helping us make a cultural change that we talk about uh, within these systems. And it has got broad co uh, collaborative support from everybody in the community. And it's a really important bill that is uh, moving along and people can be really proud of that. So that's a huge, huge thing. You know, absolutely, Sam. So, OK, so I have I have two questions. Yeah. One, one, this one isn't even a statement. This is like, what does this say about our our community when we have to pass a bill to hold those responsible for protecting us and keeping us safe? Like and all we're asking for is accountability. That doesn't it feels crazy that we need a bill, Sim. Yeah, well, I think you're you're touching upon something really important, right? When we're talking about systems improvement and systems over a period of time, it creates certain cultures. And within those cultures, those practices become the norm, right? So it's about breaking and chiseling away at that. And there are people there who generally want to uh, uh, engage in a very positive way, but the culture and practice prohibits them from doing that, right? And so mm -hmm. if you want to really make that change, you got to kind of come up with this kind of language. But to your earlier point, what does it say about us as a community and a society when we need to create affirmative legislation? Uh, it tells us what the problem is and how much work still needs to be done and why these issues are still so important and critical uh, in a transparent way so we can all get our eyes on it and we can have a better system for every person in this country. Absolutely. All right. And my follow-up question is, how do we ensure that the officers who are arguably, I mean, I, I can't think of another word to say, but whistleblowers. 
So an officer who is a whistleblower is protected because that, I mean, they are going against what we would normally say the is the code of conduct or code of honor, you know? And so how the do code we of silence, code of silence. There it is. Thank you. Cause I mean, really, you know, I, I love, I love everything about this bill, but now I start to worry about the officer who steps forward. How is he not a target on his back? So, so this is why this is so important because what it does is it that it protects that officer from retaliation. It protects that officer to be able to report without any other consequences. It creates an affirmative, not only an affirmative obligation, but it also gives structural protection and support to those individuals who know what's going on, but they may not feel safe enough to articulate it. Or if they know that they say something, that they're going to be isolated, they're going to be iced out, they're going to be retaliated against. So that was a really critical uh, provision. And I think for the, really there was a collective understanding saying we will all be better. So this is this is what you know, I've been doing this stuff for a long time, but I can tell you to have the Fraternal Order of Police, the Chiefs Association, the prosecution, the uh, NAACP, Black Lives Matter, ACLU, all in agreement on saying we all support this uh, this bill. That took a lot of doing, and I couldn't be more proud of our team that worked on it with all these different partners that came together. And I think it gives me hope. Absolutely. Oh, there's that is the perfect word. This this bill right here could honestly change the face of Utah in the next coming years. Right. It can. And, and I mean, because this is what we're marching about. This is what we're asking for. We're asking for accountability. When everyone hit the streets after George Floyd, they were asking for police accountability. And, you know, when we gave our proposals a couple of years ago, this was one of those things that we talked about. This is one thing in a broad plethora of things that we need to do to kind of make the kind of systemic change that we are all sort of talking about. And you can do it. You can do it in an honest, transparent way without blame or whatever, because we're improving the process. And at the end, everyone wins. That officer wins, the transparency in the community wins, and the process change and the culture change to have a better outcome for this institutional embedment, uh, embedding of these uh, sort of practices, we get to alter that. So it's a win-win for everyone. Oof, man, that, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's hard not to be excited about that one, Sim, yeah. especially when you hear all the parties that are coming together. Yep. All right. I got, I got one. That this one might be a little controversial. So tell me about HB 257. Uh, HB 257, which is the prosecution uh, sort of uh, thing. Yeah, it's a really interesting bill because it's kind of focusing uh, in a narrow way. The sponsors never came and talked to us as prosecutors. But my objection to it comes from the fact that, you know, a couple of years ago, when we talk about criminal justice reform, we talk about what's already in the system. But part of the reform is to not let people enter the system. And so our office launched a, 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 a project a couple of years ago to do pre-filing diversions. That is, I don't even want you to get into the system. I want you to take care of your business and I want you to move on so you don't get a conviction. And we in Salt Lake County and working with Salt Lake City Prosecutor's Office, we've had almost 500 individuals participate in that in the last couple of years. And we've had over 250 people who have graduated. That means they got no a conviction, they got no uh, collateral consequences, and 
they owned up to what was going on and they often got the very help that they needed that was the causing this stuff to happen. So my criticism of this bill was that it tried to take that away from prosecutors. It tried to limit that and it tried to privatize that. And in, in Salt Lake County, we've been lucky to work with other government agencies that have been critical to our support. So that's why I was in opposition to that as well as other prosecutors who saw this was an overreach and the, and the sponsors were really focusing on some stuff that's happening in Utah County, and they're angry at the David Levitt over there, and this bill was an overreach, and my criticism is don't mess with and limit my ability to address uh, do pre-file diversions because we are actually making a positive, positive impact. 94% of the people who uh, graduated successfully from there did not re-offend. Uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's incredible. The data is really great. I, well, I'm, here, here I am thinking, okay, so we get on one side, we have pre-file diversions. And then on the other side, we're talking about clean slate. Yes. So, so let, Utah is making moves. Yeah, and I remember having you on a program a couple of yeah, maybe two years ago when you were first trying to, when you first started like planting seeds about this, we're, we're making moves, Sim. We are, we are. And let's talk about, that's a great segue into this because uh, a couple of years ago, in 2019, we passed House Bill 431, which was the Clean Slate Bill. But then, uh, and what that really did is it recognized that when people get convictions, but that we've created such a bureaucracy, especially for low-level offenses, that over 90% of the people who are eligible to have their record expunged, and what does that mean? There's no record of it in the court system. There's no record of it on a criminal background check. And you can honestly say on a job application that you have not been convicted. Life-changing, Sam. It, because that is the impediment. It's the scarlet letter. It's the stone around the millstone around your neck that has huge collateral impact even after you paid your debt to society that impacts your ability to get a job, to be able to rent, to be able to get education, government benefits, and it has intergenerational poverty, which, oh, is, uh, uh, which is passed down. So the clean site bill now, because of COVID, it streamlines it. It's supposed to go into effect by the end of this year. It streamlines it that when that case is dismissed, there's an automatic communication from the court to BCI to prosecution to say, hey, start removing this record for this person because our old system just wore you down, eroded you. It was costly. It was ineffective. It was bureaucratic. And people who had the desire to clean up uh, and, and get the benefit didn't do it. And something, you know, to touch upon what you said, a couple of years ago, our office went back 17 years and we looked at over 100,000 records and we identified 14,000 in individuals who had, uh, uh, excuse me, 12,000 ca cases where they could have benefited from the expungement process and we did one step and two step reductions because so we can expedite this this just adds one more layer of the streamlining that process so utah can be proud of this uh this uh, accomplishment so sim we we've had we've had clean slate utah on and and we keep hearing about the date february 10th so what's going on what is february 10th why do we need to be excited about that date Every, everybody's going to be getting together. It's going to be a big event up at the Capitol. The governor, I believe, is going to be there. And everybody who's worked on it and cares about this uh, is going to be there. And it's the official uh, launch of it. And, uh, and so this is something everybody can be a part of and be excited about. 
because I'm sure that uh, if you look at the national st statistics, uh, um, every one of us knows somebody who has been impacted by our criminal justice system and the collateral consequences are huge. But the windfall from this new legislation is incredible. Absolutely. I was I, I heard us talking about it. We've been running spots on KRCL and I didn't realize it was like one in four or one in five Utahns have some form of criminal record. So this is really going to be impactful for the community at large. It's not only going to be impactful for that person, but it's going to be the here's the connection people forget. If you can't get a job, you don't have a place to live, you can't get, uh, you know, government benefits, you can't supplement your education. Uh, it has collateral consequences on the next generation of people in your family. And so it's a systemic economic uh, uh, impact that goes well beyond the, your, your, you having paid your debt to society. Right. And so that's why this is so important because of the systemic impact. And as I mentioned uh, before, you know, 90% of the people who can benefit from this were uh, became basically disillusioned because the system and the bureaucracy is so overwhelming. So think about all the other people who are uh, queued up who can take benefit from this, not for only from the past, but also as we go forward as a community as well. I love it. I love it. And I, I'd be remiss to let you go and not ask you, Sim. Tell me, we got the death penalty making moves. What's going on in Utah? Yeah. So this is something we have been working on with different partners for the last five or six years. And this year we have a bill uh, that I think can help us maybe break through the log jam. And this is a death penalty replace and repeal. So we will get rid of the death penalty. You, uh, you would, the highest penalty would for aggravated murder would be life without the possibility of parole. Second category would be 45 years to life. And then and the third category would be 25 years to life. And so we know that, for example, death penalty is a false hope. It's a false promise to victims. It re-traumatizes victims over and over again. It is something that does not bring finality or conclusion or a measure of justice to victims. Over the last 12 years that I've talked to them, they, it just tears them apart. The other thing that we know is that a death penalty is not a deterrent for the, uh, the states that have actually repealed the death penalty. They have lower crime rates than states that actually have the death penalty. It costs taxpayers millions of dollars without actually giving you a sense of security or public safety. Life without the possibility of parole is cheaper and we can still keep the community safe for those really uh, heinous crimes. So it, it is something that has, it, that is part of our kind of, for lack of a better term, it is something that makes us feel good, but we don't really deliver any justice. It's a antiquated practice that does not belong in the, in the modern world and certainly in civilized society. And finally, the moral question, which is when we talk about saying uh, killing somebody is one of the most heinous things that we can do as a matter of public policy and personal belief and faith traditions, and then to authorize the state to engage in that same very act as the only option that we have speaks to a level of moral bankruptcy. And it is, is basically an admission that we're failing in our process. And finally, finally, uh, let me make this other point that if you had a pilot who uh, crashed his plane 10% of the time, we would never let that pilot fly ever get in the plane. 
we the, the Innocence Project has demonstrated that almost 10% of the people sitting on death row were, uh, were wrongfully convicted. That error rate ought to make us stop this uh, and get rid of this uh, final punishment, the ultimate punishment for all these reasons. Man, right there, Sam, you hit the nail on the head. Imagine that. They said, hey, you're going to fly with American? This guy's got a 10% failure rate. You right. want to talk about people, people handing in, cashing in those tickets? <laughs> That's absolutely right. And now, so, so now, you know, you're going to hear, uh, so we were stuck in rules. It's going to committee. And we're saying, everybody who can hear my voice, please reach out to your elected legislators and tell them, let's get a vote. Let's get it onto the floor. Let's have the debate on this. And uh, there's a broad coalition that is uh, saying, let us vote. Don't kill it in committee. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You hear that? Make sure you are calling your elected officials. Let the people decide. This is something that we all should get to get to voice our concerns, our opinions, our support, whatever the case may be, but it should definitely come down to all of us. Absolutely, absolutely. Always a pleasure having you on, Sam. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Rishan and Laura. And that's our show. Thanks to all our guests this evening, and thank you for listening. I'm Rashawn Leak. See you next time on Roundtable Tuesday edition of Radioactive. Stay loud, stay proud. Only on KRCL.